0: Welcome back to Work, Love, Pray, Real Talk, Grounded in Truth. I'm Jordan Johnstone. When you hear self-care, what comes to mind? You know, maybe it's putting on a face mask, catching up on your favorite show. Maybe if you're like me, treating yourself to a target run, (laughs) maybe going for a run on your favorite trail, Uh, maybe just sitting outside and just enjoying time outside your office. Self-care is not really surprisingly something that should be pretty personalized to you you know, and yes, there's general ideas or categories for incorporating self-care into your life. But in the end, you really need to find something that not only works for your schedule, but also actually gives you the care that you're looking for. The only way to know which self-care routine or practice will work best for you is to truly have a grasp on what makes you, you. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about one of the most popular personality tests out there, Enneagram. And it may seem like just a buzzword or maybe a fad, but the Enneagram is one of the more all-encompassing tests you can take to determine what makes you tick. So to learn more about the Enneagram and how it can tie into self-care, I am joined today by Beth McCord, an Enneagram speaker, coach, and teacher for over 15 years and founder of Your Enneagram Coach, which is also one of my favorite Enneagram Instagram Instagram accounts to follow. Um, having been trained by the best Enneagram experts and pouring hundreds of hours into advanced certifications, Beth is now leading the industry and in simplifying the deep truths of the Enneagram from a biblical perspective. Beth's passion is to make the Enneagram accessible for everyone, anywhere, so they can experience the transformation they long for. Beth also offers, if you're interested one-on-one coaching, in-person events and workshops, online courses, and training and support for those interested in becoming an Enneagram coach. If you have no idea what the Enneagram is, don't worry, we've got you covered. And if you're already Enneagram savvy, you are in for a real treat hearing from Beth today and learning even more about this incredibly interesting study and in personalities. So Beth, I am so honored that you're able to be on and chat with us. And like I said, as an Instagram fan of yours, this is just truly a huge treat for me.
1: Yay, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: So let's start off with explaining, like I promised, what the Enneagram
1: is and how people can determine which type they are. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've never seen the symbol, it is looks like a nine-pointed star. Um, and so the nine points represent the nine basic personality types. So Ennea means nine, and Gram means diagram. And so the nine-pointed star is going to help you to understand why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. And that's what sets it apart from um, a lot of the other personality tools. And they're all great. This one is getting to the core of why you do what you do. So we're peeling back the onion to really knowing what's the motivations behind everything. Um, And that's so important because it helps you to know when you are on the right path, for your personality type, but when you're veering off course. Um, so what I tell people is think of the Enneagram like an internal GPS. So maybe you're driving in a car and you're using a GPS right now, you have a current location and you have a desired destination. So the current location is your main Enneagram type. The destination is the healthiest part for your personality type, but just like we do day after day, we forget, we fall asleep to ourselves, we get on autopilot and we can veer off course. And it's kind of like when we're like maybe swatting the kids in the back seat, or fumbling around or, or not paying attention or falling asleep at the wheel, we can veer off course and land into the common pitfalls of life. Um, and that really frustrates us so much because we're like, why do I keep doing this? You know, why can't I stop? Uh, and that is because we don't know ourselves well and not because we haven't tried it's, we don't know how to put language to what is going on inside us. So the Enneagram is going to give you that language and that understanding of why you veer off course, but not only that, it's going to help you to put down rumble strips, you know, like those things on the side of the highway that wake you up when you're veering off course, they're going to help you to put rumble strips down to wake you and alert you when you're bearing off course again, so that hopefully you can pause and readjust and stay on your healthiest path. So understanding the why behind everything really can help you in being the best version of yourself.
0: So with the Enneagram, there are certain numbers that you are a number, I guess that you fall into, and then you have wings. <laughs> so again, just to kind of make sure that everybody understands what we're talking about when we say in Enneagram. Um, can you kind of go through and just high level, you know, explain what each of the numbers are, maybe what they mean, um, and kind of what some popular traits are with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when you're trying to find your main Enneagram type, there are assessments out there. We have one that we're really proud of. It's at test.yourenneagramcoach.com. And you're going to go through a bunch of questions, and it's going to try to solidify it and get down to the core of why you do what you do. But Like all assessments with the Enneagram, it's only as good as you know yourself. And a lot of us don't know ourselves very well. So what we want you to do is really come in and focus on the core motivations for your type. And the core motivations are the core fear, the thing that you're always running away from, the core desire, the thing that you think, if I just have this, life will be perfect. The core weakness, and that is your Achilles heel, the thorn in your side, the thing that constantly is tripping you up throughout life. And then the core longing, the message your heart longs to hear. So I'm going to go through all nine types and give you this like deeper dive into that core motivation, because you're going to want to find the type that has this like absolutely like, oh my goodness, that's me. Now we use all nine types to varying degrees. And just like you said, there's like things called wings and then the lines connect and that means something, but we're not going to go into that today. But just realize that you're going to find a couple that you might go, well, that could be me. Or this could be me, but we're not looking at what could. We're looking at, oh my goodness, yes, that's me. So let's look at the core motivations for all nine types. We'll start with type one. Type one is the moral perfectionist. They really fear and they're running away from being wrong, bad, evil, corruptible. They desire to have integrity, to be good, balanced, and right. Their core weakness is resentment. And this is where they suppress anger because that feels bad and wrong, but it comes out as resentment because they have a one loud inner critic that is berating them of all the things that are not perfect and it assaults them. And so they think everyone else sees these things and they bypass it. And that brings up a lot of frustration and resentment. Um, And they're just wanting everyone to do what's right and what's perfect so that the loud inner critic might Finally, subside and go away. Um, what they desire to hear is you are good. Now the type two is a supportive advisor. They fear being rejected and unwanted, loveless, um, dispensable, and being needy. They desire to be appreciated, loved, and wanted. And their core weakness is pride. And this is really denying their own needs and emotions while they actually are focusing on others. So they're going to focus on others' feelings and needs, and then they're going to confidently insert themselves by helping, you know, giving advice, gifts, support, you name it, in hopes that others will show how grateful they are for their care. Now, the type two, they long to hear you are wanted and loved. The type three is the successful achiever. And they fear being exposed or thought as incompetent, inefficient, worthless, and definitely having the appearance of failing. Um, having um, or what they desire is to have high status, respect, be admired and valuable to others. So a really successful image. Now, their core weakness is deceit, and this is really that they're deceiving themselves into believing that they're only the image they present to others. So they tend to embellish the truth, whether a little bit or a lot, by putting on a polished persona for everyone, including themselves, to see and admire. Now, what they long to hear is you are simply loved for being you. Any questions on the first three? No, I think that that sounds... Really good. (laughs) Good, good. Okay. So type four is the romantic individualist. Being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective, flawed, or insignificant is the core fear they're trying to run away from or prevent. They desire to be unique, special, and their most authentic self. What they... A struggle with their core weakness is envy. And this is feeling that there's something tragically flawed or missing inside them, but others possess these qualities that they lack. So I talk about fours as being almost like a puzzle that you've put together and you're so excited. You're getting close to the end. It's going to be amazing. And then there's that missing piece in the middle. That's how they feel about themselves. Like, ah, oh, it could have been amazing. Everyone else is amazing. Or they have all these things that I don't have. And so there's this envy that, that builds up, but What we want them to really know is what is their core longing is you are seen and loved for exactly who you are, special and unique, and that you're not defective and flawed. Uh, The type five is the investigative thinker, and they fear being annihilated, invaded, or not existing, but also being thought of as incapable or ignorant, having obligations placed upon them, and definitely having their internal energy depleted. So what they desire is to be capable, competent, and knowledgeable. Now, their core weakness is avarice. And this is where they feel that they lack inner resources. And so too much interaction with people will deplete them like drastically. And so they really want to kind of hold off on having too much interaction with others in fear of that depletion. So, they will minimize their needs and hold on to their resources. So they they can kind of come across at times as having very strong boundaries and needing a lot of time alone to process and recharge, which is true. Think of them as having waking up every day with your cell phone battery only having the capacity of 20 to 25%. If that was true, you would have to ration out how you use it all day. Well, that's how it is for them. So they're very mindful of how much energy they can give relationally to others. Um, Now, what they desire to hear is your needs are not a problem. Now, the type six is the loyal guardian. And they fear fear itself being without support, security or guidance, being blamed and targeted alone, and definitely being physically abandoned. They desire having security, guidance and support. Now, what they struggle with, with their core weakness is anxiety. And this is where they're going to be scanning the horizon and trying to predict life and circumstances and definitely worst case scenarios in hopes of preventing any of that from happening. So you're going to see them kind of in this constant apprehension or worry because they have an inner committee. So instead of the type one who has the one loud inner critic, The sixes have an inner committee that is constantly chiming in from all directions. Well, it could be this or that. Did you think about that? Did you plan for this? What about that? And so it brings a lot of confusion and chaos in the six. So they go outside themselves to find the guidance and support that they feel that they need to move forward. What they long to hear is you are safe and secure. Now, type seven is the entertaining optimist, and they fear being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, limited, or bored, and they're definitely the big FOMOs on the Enneagram, so they don't want to miss out on something fun. Uh, they desire to be happy, fully satisfied, and content, and you'll understand the sevens a little bit more if you understand their core weakness, which is gluttony. Now, this isn't talking about food gluttony, though they do love a variety of foods and stuff, but... This is the feeling that there's a great emptiness inside, and they have this insatiable desire to fill themselves up with experiences, excitement, stimulation, fun, in hopes to feel completely satisfied and content. But what happens, it's like they have this empty bucket inside that has holes in it. And the more they try to fill with the fun and stimulation, and if they're not present in the moment, because they're always thinking of the next fun thing then they do the fun experience, but it doesn't satisfy. It just leaks through, but the more they can be present in the moment, it will plug up the holes and they can start to feel this sense of gratitude and fulfillment inside. What they long to hear is your, uh, you will be taken care of. Now the type eight is the protective challenger and they fear being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, and left at the mercy of injustice. So what they desire is to protect themselves and those in their inner circle. And they have just like a few people in their very, very tight inner circle, and they'll do anything for them. Um, Their core weakness is lust or excess. So for them, it's this constant desire for intensity, control, and power. And you'll find them pushing themselves willfully, On life and people in order to get what they desire. So they're the people that are say it like it is very blunt, direct, assertive, and they want everyone else to be the same way. Now they come with a lot of intensity that others may not match, but they just love to just talk about things like just as they are. Actually, they're the most authentic on the Enneagram, but they're like a snowplow, a big, awesome snowplow that can either plow a path for others and others are behind it going, yes, thank you. Or they can be beside it or in front of it. And it's like, whoa, little much. Um, And so we want to help the AIDS to understand how to utilize that incredible force of energy and abilities to benefit others, which it absolutely does. So what they desire to hear is you will not be betrayed. Now, last but not least is my type, the type nine, the peaceful mediator. And they fear being in any kind of conflict or tension, discord, feeling shut out or overlooked, losing connection and relationship with others. And they desire to have inner stability and peace of mind. But The nine struggles with what's called sloth and sloth can be like funny because nines definitely do like to kick back and relax, but that's not what we're really talking about because nines can actually be the busiest on the Enneagram, but the sloth has to do with an internal knowing of themselves. Nines usually go along to get along, accommodate, merge with others in hopes to create peace and harmony. If they don't assert their voice or inject their opinions or desires, then maybe there's less conflict or tension or any kind of discord. So why not just go along to get along? Who cares? It's no biggie. And in fact, nine struggle with the understanding that their presence matters, which is their core longing. They would love to hear that your presence matters. And that's all nine types.
0: So once you know your Enneagram number You can apply that knowledge to, I feel like, every part of your life. And I think that's what makes Enneagram just so far reaching. And I love it. (laughs) Um, And so that's why, yeah. And so that's why I was just so glad you were able to come on and, and talk about this with us and how it relates to actually taking care of yourself and using that Enneagram knowledge to do that. And, you know, I mean, even without the Enneagram, beyond that, you know, your self care will probably look a lot different than mine. And that's fine. And, you know, it's a personal thing. And so I think that's why understanding who you are will just make it even better for you. So Absolutely. yeah. And so before we dive into the different types and maybe even like kind of what self-care looks like to each type, how would you personally define self-care?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think self-care that is, it's tricky to define because I think people can take it in a lot of different uh, ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, we talk a lot about Um, being healthy, average, or unhealthy. And that is a really big distinction in how you're doing. So each, a lot of people are like, well, which type is the healthiest or which type's the best? Well, (laughs) no type is better than the other. Um, All types are wonderful when they're healthy and they're self-aware and they're doing proper self-care, but any type that's at their worst is the worst. I mean, it's but it looks different for Mm -hmm. each of the types. But that's what's so great about the Enneagram. It's going to help you to know where you're at. It's going to be, it's a non-judgmental friend that just tells you like it is. So when you're doing really great, it's going to like lay that out and go, oh my goodness, look, I'm doing really well. I'm in this healthy mode. This is great. But it's also going to let you know when you're veering off course and it's going to say it like it is like when you're not doing well, it looks like this. And you know, for what, what that can do for us is it can go, or, you know, like <laughs> oh, I'm the worst, you know, or we have self condemnation, um, maybe in fear and a lot of shame, and that is the opposite of what we want for for the people we work with as coaches. It's not that we don't want you to own what's really going on. We we need you to own what's going on. We need you to recognize the struggle, but not to condemn or have shame we want you to recognize it so it can we can correct the issue or what's going on so self-care part of it is being able to look squarely you know at what is true what's going on right now inside us and not going to the place of shame or condemnation But seeing it and owning it and being willing to get ourselves on a different path. So feeling that rumble strip, right? Like, okay. So I guess as a nine, when I'm not doing well, I might sweep problems under the rug. I might disassociate, not engage, trying to like hopefully do a detour route around conflict. Um, Oh, we're all great. We're all fine. And yet we're not. Um, And that can be a self-sabotage, right? Like to avoid Mm -hmm. conflict means you can actually make more conflict, but we're trying to do the opposite and yet we're creating it. So (laughs) if I can just see what I'm doing and own it and recognize, wait, I actually need to enter into this uncomfortable situation in order for the real conflict not to happen that's really hard, but it's also good. So self-care for a nine will look very different for other types. But so self-care is one recognizing where you're at in the moment. Are you healthy or unhealthy or anywhere in that spectrum? And what do you need to do to bring yourself into a more healthy state? And like I said, it's going to be different for each of the nine types.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I know we said we weren't going to talk about wings, <laughs> but, you know, I'm a six wing five. So six is my more dominant one that I am associated with. And, you know, I constantly battle that anxiety that you're talking about the having, I love the committee. I mean, it really is. It's not just one little voice, it's, you know, Hey, did you Google this? Did you look at this? Did you close the garage door? Did you, you know, I, just, mm-hmm. I have like all these yeah. things just swirling. And then, you know, with five, it kind of comes into more of, you know, I want to be by myself sometimes, which is kind of hard. And so for mm-hmm. me, you know, self-care looks a lot like stepping back, calming down, you know, maybe having some time alone, doing something that doesn't involve needing to make any big decisions. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just something that's just very soothing. Um, so like I said, I mean, yours sounds a little bit different than mine and that's just what's going to happen. So, um, mm-hmm. I know we don't want to go too in depth, but you know, just
1: real briefly, like what would self-care look like for each of the types? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're, in. you're so spot on. My husband is actually the same as you. Oh yeah. And so, <laughs> Yeah. And he actually had this epiphany and you'll love this. Um, the intercommittee he said is like parliament in England where someone's talking, but then everyone else is booming and hissing and yelling. Yes. Different things. <laughs> and it's like, why are you all talking over each other? Like, can't you just listen one at a time, you know, but yeah. that, you know, for him, he's like, Oh, and so for self care, we'll get to that. But for self care does look very different for him than me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let me just run through one through nine and kind mm-hmm. of give just obviously the briefest overview of what self-care might look like for those types. So type one, again, the moral perfectionist who remember is worrying about, uh, you know, right and wrong ethics and morals. And so they feel like they have to be responsible all the time. These are like the kids who were young adults and they just always Mm stayed that way. We want them to move and I know people don't see the symbol, but what a healthy path for them is to move to the healthy side of type seven. And what this looks like for a type one is to learn how to be childlike, not childish, Mm. childlike to embrace grace and freedom. And so what does it look like for one to be able to responsibly, (laughs) because they'll want that responsibly put aside a to-do list and to go have some fun. So with my um, clients, I actually tell them to schedule a time of spontaneity. Now the sevens are laughing, like, why would you schedule spontaneity? That doesn't sound right. Well, the one, it would be too hard for the one to just be spontaneous. But if, if like, let's say once a week, they have an hour where they're just going to do something that self-care, what feels good for them. It's childlike and freeing and joyful, but they need to have that scheduled or they're going to go into it A little bit more uptight and anxious, fearing that their list isn't going to get done, or they may not do it because there's so much on their list. So, we want them to schedule that. But what that is on the other side, we just want it to be where that freedom and that lightheartedness can be pulled out of them, whether it's for an hour or half a day or a whole vacation. Um, And when they're on vacations, actually, you'll see their self care um, come a little bit more alive because they're actually able to put back, you know, a lot of their responsibilities that stay at home and they feel that freedom. So, so ones um, that are listening, think about what it's like when you're on vacation and try to incorporate that in, you know, every week somehow, you know, and then eventually maybe every day for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you know, something to allow that intensity of responsibility to not be so strong. So that would be for type one. Uh, type two, these are the supportive advisors and they're constantly always focusing on others. And part of it is because they want to know that they are loved and appreciated. So they feel like they have to earn people's love by being helpful in some form or fashion, but they are loved for just being them. And so what we want them to do is to be able to do some kind of self care where they're not having to focus on everyone else. And this is going to be really hard for the twos. But I have several twos really close to me in life, and one of the things that's really helpful for them is actually doing something fun but by themselves. Now this isn't all the time, but like so my daughter is a two and she's 19 and she loves going to the movies by herself and you know getting a couple of treats and watching something that she would really enjoy. And that sounds like, oh, that sounds kind of like, especially for twos, they're so social. But what happens in that moment is there's no one else that she is feeling their feelings and their needs and feeling they have, she has to come through. She can just sit there and enjoy the moment. Now that takes time to enjoy that because it feels so opposite of what your personality is telling you, but and it doesn't have to be a movie, but what can you do that you're just focusing on yourself now? twos. You will have in your mind, but that's being selfish. There's other things I could do for other people, but recognize in order to truly care for other people in a healthy way, you have to first take care of yourself. Otherwise you will actually be caring for other people from an unhealthy place where you're intruding in on their life, demanding that they appreciate you. Whereas when you're healthy, you're giving your life away in generosity versus needing something in return. So take good care of yourself, and then you will care for others in that most beautiful way. So for type three, the successful achiever, they struggle with just being, they are constant doers because remember it's, they want to look successful or their appearance of their value and accomplishments is what's important to them. They think, Oh, I have to appear successful and accomplished so that you can love me. But they want to know that their love for just being them. So that's, what's true. So we want them to learn how to be a human being versus just a human doing to learn how to exhale, to not always feel that they have to perform. And that can be really tricky because you know, like any of us, what we do is what's common to us. What's, what's uh, familiar, but we want them to learn how to put aside their checklist In order to just be, now we're not saying be boring and all that stuff, but have something fun and lighthearted. That's not really an accomplishment, but something that's just enjoyable. Now they might be saying, but I enjoy an accomplishing. No, I know you do, but we want you to learn how to be versus just accomplish. Um, and so finding that one or two things that allows you to go there is going to be great and you'll know because you'll feel this ability to exhale and to rest Okay, but it doesn't it, you can do something fun, it doesn't mean you have to sit in a hammock though. Some might like that. But what can you do that just brings that sense of um ease to your heart? Okay. Type 4, the romantic individualist. Um for them self-care is it's going to be where they're able to not focus on what is missing, but what is there. And that can look like a lot of different things for them. So we want it to be uniquely designed for them where they can see and appreciate the beauty and the creativity that has already been placed in them. Now, whether that is an actual creative outlet, um, that's fine. It's great because some boars really enjoy an actual creative outlet, but it might just be enjoying looking inward, but not in a place of what's missing, but in a place of gratitude and what is already there. So that, you know, gosh, you could do so many different things with that being in nature. I know for a lot of fours, it's helpful to see the beauty that's already presented to them and in front of them. And then translating that also inward. How does that beauty reflect the beauty that's already inside? So that's one idea, um, type fives, their self-care is for them. They have no problem setting up boundaries and having time alone. But what we're wanting them to see is that they actually have a lot more that they can access than what they're familiar with. And so what we want them to do is actually connect their head and their body together. Now for those who aren't fives, are like, what, well, they really reside a lot in their head they're thinking, they're processing. It's like their own castle. So honestly, for a five, the rest of their body is kind of like an appendage. <laughs> they they <laughs> just are not really mindful of it. And not because they don't want to be, it's just what it is. And so the more that they're able to do some physical activity, and we're not talking, you have to be an athlete or anything like that, but even if it's just walking or doing something of some physical nature, um, swimming, it could be painting. I mean, kayaking. I don't care what it is, but doing something physical will help connect the head, the heart, and the gut. And it will allow more things to kind of flow more uh, fluid, like with more fluidity. And you'll actually find a lot more ability to access different parts of your mind and your concepts and everything. When you connect all these parts together, um, six is, so the loyal guardians, we talked about them having anxiety in the inner committee, Really, for them, we want them, well, and for all of us, but specifically the sixes, is to learn about their inner committee. These are different parts that are inside us. Now, sixes will often tell me, I think I'm crazy. You're not. You're a six that has an inner committee. Um, and so, but we don't let you to shame or put the inner committee down. They're there to help you. Now, that doesn't mean they are helping you, because um, at times it can actually be not helpful, but they're trying to alert you to something but just like with when we have little kids and they're trying to alert us or tell us something, we're like, Oh, okay, it's fine. Just kind of go away. They only get louder, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you it the first time. let me get really loud. But if you look to the child and you say, Oh, I hear you that you're saying this and this, is that right? Yes. Okay. I totally hear you, but this is what we're actually going to do. Or here's what's really true. That lets them calm down because they've been heard. Now sometimes they don't like it that, you're not listening or you're not going to do what they're saying, but at least their heart feels heard and recognized. So same with the intercommittee. If you listen to them respectfully and you don't have to join in on them on being all up in arms or, you know, thinking of all the catastrophes, but if you just say, Hey, I hear that those are the kinds of things that are going on. But you know what? I think this is what's actually true. Or let me like process this a little bit longer. Instead of joining you, I'm going to kind of come at it from a more restful place so that I can make a more wise adult decision than kind of having the internal temper tantrums going on. And that way you're honoring the, the parts that are in you trying to help but you don't have to necessarily follow suit or get into that emotional reactive tangle with them. Um, and so what that looks like is a lot of maybe what's called silence and solitude. And at first the committee is just going to have a heyday with that. And they're going to say all the things that could ever be said. And you're going to think there's no silence and solitude ever, <laughs> but just try like 30 seconds and then maybe a week later, try a minute. Now, you they're going to be chiming in and that's okay. Just welcome them, listen, like reflect back to them and then see if they don't calm down over time in the sense that they'll still be chiming in, but maybe not as reactive. Mm-hmm. And then what you'll find is over time, you will be able to have a little bit more silence and solitude. Now it's going to look different for six and a nine and nine can kind of go there any day, every day, <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> So we're not talking about that. We're not saying you should become like that. It's that you're finding more peace and rest, even with some of the, the noises kind of happening. So that is a little bit for the, the six. Um, the seven is um, self-care is going to look a lot like going inward and recognizing that they have this insatiable desire to fill them, themselves up that empty bucket that holds has holes in it. Well, You can't ever be satisfied unless the holes get plugged up. It will just keep draining out and you'll constantly be dissatisfied. So we want to look, figure out how to plug up those holes. And the way to do this for the sevens is to be fully present in the moment, look around you, what blessings are right before you and savoring them. That's a big, big word for sevens is savor the moment and therefore have gratitude for what you actually are experiencing now. When you start doing that, you will plug up those holes and you will experience that satisfaction and contentment that you're longing for. Now we're still on this side of heaven. So, you know, it's not going to be perfect. You're always going to have some sense of, oh, I need more, but you're going to find a deep and more rich satisfaction. If you'll take the time to savor the moment. Now type eights, um, they want things now and if anything, maybe a few seconds ago, like immediate, but we want them to learn that though they have a lot of strength and courage and are able to face on challenges, what happens for them is they go full throttle all the time. And what I talk about, I just had a type eight client today and I said, we need to install a dimmer switch inside you, you know, kind of like when you have lights in the room, they are the lights that are full strength all the time. Well, if you're like that, guess what? You're gonna burn out really quickly. So we don't want that to happen. And what that does for the eight is they go full uh, full throttle and then their bodies will shut down. They get sick or whatever. And a lot of eights are like, yep, been there, done that. So what we're wanting is not for you to go from 100% to where nine would be like at 30, 50%, just, you know, kind of chilling out we're just saying dial it back to like 85%, which is still a lot compared to most people. But if you can dial it back one, others aren't going to feel, um, that kind of power and maybe intimidation that you're not trying to exude, but they'll feel it. It will dial it back enough where they can meet you there and you're able to still get a lot done, but at a less intense rate. So what does that look like? Well, really in anything and everything you do think through Am I at full throttle or full intensity, or can I bring it down just a little bit and recognize these patterns each and every place that you go. Now it's really hard for any, they're like, but I like the intensity. I know you do, but if you keep at that pace, your body will shut you down. And that is not a fun place to be. Now type nines, it's kind of the opposite. So self-care for the type nine is actually getting after it rolling up your sleeves and going for it. And they're like, but going for what exactly? So you have to do the work of knowing yourself. What do you like? What are your passions and desires and longings? Now, how to start with this for the type nine is to write down all the things you don't like, or that you've tried that you hate or things that people have told you to do. And you don't want to do them It is much easier for a nine to know what they don't want versus to start writing what they want because that that page will be blank. And they'll look at it and they'll stare at it. But if you start with the things you don't like, it might jog some thoughts of, well, I didn't like that, but I might like this. And so then you can come up with a list of things to try and then go and try them. Maybe you want to try a massage, a bike ride, a walk, go fishing, go kayaking, reading, or you name it, a drive, figure out what it is that really ignites you. Now, you'll know once you get there. So for me, I didn't realize this until my husband bought me one of those hammocks that you can put between two trees. And, you know, and I got in it and it felt like for me being out there for one hour, felt like I was there for half a day Mm. and being out there for three hours. I felt like I was gone for a whole day's vacation. Like I felt that rejuvenated and refreshed. That's what you're really looking for in any of these kind of self-care things is what really rejuvenated you, not just like, cause I can, Hey, I can watch not, a nine could watch TV all day, binge watch, but do I really walk away refreshed No. So we're looking for that aha moment of, wow, I feel great. I didn't expect that. And that's what we're really looking for. So get out there, try a bunch of things and find it and then keep doing it. So a big part of the theme for this month,
0: um, in talking about self-care is really also acknowledging and then trying to correct this feeling of just being guilty when you want to have self-care in your life. So, uh, why do you think a lot of us struggle with feeling guilty and maybe what are some tips that you could share that maybe have helped you with fighting back guilt?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things if you look at it from an Enneagram perspective is when we're looking for tips on self-care, we're kind of looking at a lot of places. And so let's say you follow someone on Instagram and you're a type six. Well, you are. You're mm-hmm. type six <laughs> and they're type three. And they're like, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And it should look like this and it should look like that. And you try really hard. And it's just like you can't make it work. And so then you feel bad, not doing it right. You're not good at it. And so all those things happen. And it's the same with Pinterest. You can get on Pinterest and there's all the things in the world that you could do or the self-care books or the, the sermons you listen to, or the teachers you listen to, you know, you name it and you're getting inundated from all different directions anyway, whatever type you are. And they all can sound great because it worked for them. But is that really the best one for you? And so we want to recognize a lot of reasons why people feel like they're a failure at it or they're not good at it is because they might be following someone else's healthy path. And so, really understanding your type and honing in on what does it look like for me? Also, another reason or another way you can fail at this is like for me as a type nine, well, self care sounds like going and getting a massage and doing nothing all day. That sounds amazing. Let's do that. Well, as a nine, I can do that anytime. All the time, but that doesn't mean I'm being healthy. It doesn't mean I'm actually restoring myself. Um, and in fact, it's the opposite of what I need to do, which self care doesn't always mean, oh, yay, fun. It's what is rejuvenating you, what's restoring you. Um, and so, what will restore me is actually doing what I'm passionate about, but I gotta know what I'm passionate about. Um, and so, that's where. I need to be careful who I'm listening to because they might put me on the path that was great for them, but not the best for me. So I'm gonna feel like a failure. So that's one thing. But also we live in a world that kind of says you should keep going and keep after it and do this. And you should be a great mom like this and a great, you know, worker like this. And so you're just building up this like fake resume that you should have. And if you take time for yourself, you feel like you're going to miss all those things or people are going to see you as wrong. And frankly, you got to put that all aside. This is not about what others think about you. It's about how well you can take good care of yourself. And in turn, you will bless others because you're going to be at your very best. And that's when they're going to be amazed and astounded, not at really like your image, but just your authentic, true self being exposed.
0: Over on our Instagram, um, as we kind of wrap up the conversation today, we always put out this call for questions or just things they want to know about whatever we're talking about. And so we had put out a couple of questions, and I would love to get your feedback on some of the answers that we got. Um, So the first question that we got was kind of a little more general, and it was just kind of, you know, what have you always wanted to know about Enneagram? And so we had a couple of responses that I think kind of go together. And so I would just kind of like to get your thought kind of combined on both of them. But, um, Serena said, you know, her big thing that she's always always wanted to know is which one does she fall into? She feels like she falls into multiples. Um, and then we had, um, Allison who asked, how can I feel like two different types that don't connect at all to each other? (laughs) So I guess the, the over, you know, overarching question here is, you know, what if you are kind of conflicted like that? Um, you know, what does that mean? How do you fix that?
1: Yeah. So, um, we do use all nine types to varying degrees. And so what they're talking about is that nine pointed symbol that we talked about. You are connected to two other types, which that does matter. You take on a lot of their attributes when either you're struggling or you're doing well. Um, and then the two wings, the two numbers on either side of your main type, you also take on some of those attributes. So what she's talking about is, okay, what if I feel like another type? That's not any of those. Um, there is something called the tri-type, And if you're interested in learning more about the tri-type, go to YouTube and just, uh, let's see, search for tri-type, one word, T-R-I-T-Y-P-E, Catherine with a K, and Favre, which is F-A-U-V-R-E. She's a wonderful teacher and kind of the leading researcher on the tri-type. And she has a one-hour video that will show you how other types can manifest inside you really strongly that aren't necessarily one of those other types that we were talking about being connected to. Um, so that's what I would suggest for, for those people is to look at the tri type. And once you learn from her, you'll be like, Oh, this makes so much more sense. (laughs) Um, and it really kind of relieves a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not that hard of a teaching. It's just, we don't have time here to do it. So that's why go check out her video. Um, And then the other person, can you refresh my memory on the first one? Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. So the first one said she felt like she fell into multiple categories, which I think the tri-type would help. And then Mm -hmm. the other woman asked, how can I feel like two different types that don't connect at all?
1: Yeah. So those both kind of go hand in hand, but a lot of types overlap. And so if you don't get back to the core motivations, you'll look at like the behaviors or the outward manifestations of the person and go... Well, but I do that too. So for instance, when you hear moral perfectionist, the word perfectionist, well, a lot of people are like, well, I'm a perfectionist. Well, threes can be perfectionist. All, all, well, all the types could be perfectionist, but they're in, the, in their own way. Um, the type three can be a perfectionist, but it's about their image. Whereas the one is about what is morally ethically right, what their inner critic tells them to do. Whereas the three is about well, what do others think? So they still might do what's right and good, but it's because they want others to see that happen. Right. Whereas the one is like, I don't really care if you see that I do it. I I'm just trying to appease my inner critic. So it can look somewhere on the outside, but why you do it is what's important. So again, looking at those core motivations, but I will say, Type nine and six are usually the ones that are going to struggle the most to find their type nines because they live in that fog and they see all perspectives. Mm -hmm. So they almost see all eight perspectives more than they see their own. Um, And so that can be confusing for them. And then the six is always like, well, it depends. And there's a wide range of sixes. It's not just a simple clean and cut. Like this is what a six looks like because they have a lot of contradictory aspects. Well, I'm like this, but I'm also like that but I'm like this, but I'm also like that, you know? So they're brave and they're weak. They're extrovert and they're introvert. They're courageous and fearful. I mean, they're just kind of a little of everything. And so for a six, that can be really hard to land on a type because they might read one thing and go, well, I'm that, but I'm also this. And so that might um, be one reason for them to struggle.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I will concur. That is definitely something that was hard for me before I landed (laughs) on six. Um, so the second question that we had was, what do you struggle with most when it comes to self-care? And so we had someone who wrote in that understanding that self-care is not selfish is probably what she struggles with the most. Um, do you have any mm-hmm.
1: thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think all, ta- all types are going to feel that to some degree because the world will push back to them <clears throat> to, for their type in some form or fashion that makes them bristle and want to run away from it. But so, like, for instance, type two is probably would struggle with it the, I wouldn't say the most, but kind of the most, because they, they absolutely believe that if they take care of themselves in almost any shape or or form, that others are going to see that as being selfish and will reject them, which is their core fear. So they feel and, um, believe they have to do the opposite, which is only focus on others. Um, and so that is really hard for the type twos to get to that place of true, self-care but what they have to come to grips with is you are unconditionally loved, not based off of how you serve and help, but just being you. When they can come to that realization, that fear is going to have less of a hold or a grip on them and they're going to be able to see oh, if I take good care of myself in a good balance so we're we're talking like take good care of yourself a little bit over here so that you can reap the benefits benefits and rewards for everyone else. When you don't take good care of yourself, you actually will harm the very thing that you're wanting, which is blessing others, because you will have nothing to give. And actually what you will be giving will only suck the life out of others because you're so depleted. Um, And so just recognizing you have to change how you think about self-care in order to do it properly.
0: So is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with before we go?
1: Um, Let's see. So, you know, before we, we leave, um, I just really want people to understand that you were uniquely created with this personality type and it's good and it's wonderful. And the more you can take good care of yourself, the more your true and authentic self is going to blossom. And not only is it going to bless others, but it's really going to bless you as well. And so don't negate true self-care because it absolutely matters for everyone. So for those that really want a lot more understanding of self-care for them, I suggest taking our Exploring You online coaching course. This is where I've done pre-recorded coaching lessons just for you. So there's five where we break down your personality in bite-sized lessons. I have guide sheets where I guide you through understanding yourself. And that's going to help you to translate into what is self-care for me and how do I get that going in my own personal life it'll give you a lot more freedom because it's going to have the understanding like, Oh, we actually need to do this. And this is going to be great because I'm going to grow. So get our exploring new course just for your type. You can get that at your under online courses. And if you still don't know your type, go to test.your And you can take a free assessment or send it to all your friends and find out their type.
0: We're glad you joined us for this conversation about the Enneagram and self-care and how to find self-care that fits who you are. If you've enjoyed the Work, Love, Pray podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please consider taking a moment to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Your support is much appreciated and your review will help place Work, Love, Pray in front of other forward women and men who might like to join the podcast family. Thank you so, so much for your help. For more information about this episode, please visit our website, forwardwomen.org. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N.org, and then click on podcast at the top of the page. As you move forward on your journey to work, love, and pray well, don't forget to make time for real talk grounded in truth.